The Alabama Crops Report Podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. All right, hey everybody, welcome into a special edition of the Alabama Crops Report Podcast. Uh, today we've got the two entomologists behind the mic, Scott Graham and Caitlin Kessheimer, and we're going to talk about. Caitlin, what I'm told is something that's historic going back to like the 70s. Yeah, we've seen epic numbers of fall armyworms in 2021. So yeah, historic is is a good word. Uh, Large, epic, insane numbers across the board, whether it's Texas, Alabama, the Mid-South, I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. Yeah, you know, it seems like it started in Texas, uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago or so. Kind of started hearing a little bit about it there. Then our colleagues in the Mid-South started talking about it in Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. Started talking about it in West Tennessee. And then now here we are in Alabama, and it's our turn to deal with these suckers. Yeah, and I feel like we were calm a couple weeks ago, and you and I were like, well, it's not that bad yet. We haven't yeah. seen it here. And then the last, you know, we're at the the end of July right now, and the last week it's really blown up in terms of, of numbers, of, of worms, of 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 spray failures, what have you, whatever's going on. We're, we're seeing a lot of it here in Alabama. And you know, the the big problem is we've got these two strains of fall armyworms, the corn strain and the grass strain. Traditionally, the grass strain, which is the one we feel like we're dealing with still, is one that gets into our pastures, it gets into grass crops, things like that. And it's basically, you pick a pyrethroid, you spray it, you come back a day or two later, worms are gone. Yeah. And we're not seeing that. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, actual spray failures or applicator error or bad weather, too much rain, um, poor contact. I mean, it's there's a lot going on and, and I don't want to speculate what what the cause is, but whatever it is, producers are spraying multiple applications and we're not getting the control we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so widespread. You know, I don't think it can be a, an applicator error or something like that because it's it's everywhere from from southwest southeast alabama all the way up to the tennessee valley yeah up to limestone county is where i heard this morning um so what we're going to do today is we just kind of want to talk through army worms what we need to know what we can do to control them in a, in a couple different systems and so if you're not familiar with with scott and i and what we do um scott covers peanuts cotton and soybeans i do grain crops and pastures and turf and um, because we are never bored and army worms like to eat a little bit of everything, we're going to kind of cross a lot of different systems today and just discuss some control strategies and what are our best options to make sure we're getting good control as effective as we can for this year, given the circumstances, whether it's spray failures or, or weather. And so let's talk very briefly about you know, the current situation and why is fall armyworm such a, a major pest right now? And I think we've covered this on a previous episode where we talked about the rain and how it was constantly raining and that kind of uh, wouldn't allow producers to get into fields to spray. But also what it does is we're at the end of July and we don't usually see green lush grass across the state this time of year. That's that's kind of a, a, a new thing for this year. And armyworms love lush green grass, especially Bermuda grass. Um, but we're also seeing it in Bahia grass, uh, zoysia grass, all other types of grasses, um, which this rain allows them to not only survive, but also really just thrive in terms of their numbers. Yeah, I got asked this morning, 
is is this situation because we just simply have more fall army arms in the system this year? And I, I don't think it is. I, I think we've probably started off with a similar number of, of moths and worms in the system. We just have the perfect environment, like you mentioned, for them to really survive at a much higher rate. Mm -hmm. And thus, we're building populations quicker than what we normally see. Yeah, and it's what, mid-90s in, in temperature this week. And so when that happens, we know that insects are cold-blooded, so their reproduction, everything speeds up a little bit. And in addition, with the high temperatures and humidity, natural enemies, things that would normally feed on armyworm egg masses, they're going to slow down a little bit, you know, that we, we're tired in the field and so are, you know, um, predatory, whether it's insects or rodents or birds. And so all those factors kind of work together. Like you said, there's not really one thing, but they're just thriving in numbers this year. Yeah. And, and there's always a lag time between expon the exponential growth of a pest population and the beneficial insects and things trying to catch up, you know, mm -hmm. fortunately, if or maybe fortunately for me and you, if beneficial insects could take care of all our pest problems, people would need entomologists. Yeah, we'd be out of a job. So part of me is, you know, cool, these are awesome bugs and I like seeing them, but at the same time it's like, well, you know, it's job security. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but so in terms of finding armyworms in your, whether it's lawn or crop or anything, what's the best way to go about just looking for armyworms? Well, for, for me in, in our row crops, it's using a sweep net or drop cloth, depending on the size of the, of the crops. Uh, you know, these, these younger beans and stuff, just going through with sweep nets and, and trying to see how many caterpillars you have uh, per set of sweeps. I know for, you know, grasses and things like that, a lot of folks don't have sweep nets, you know. For some reason, I don't know why everybody doesn't have a sweep net to catch right. insects at their house. <laughs> I would uh, say though that is probably the best twenty dollar investment you can make. Yeah, if you have yeah. Grass. I know, and and you can talk better about scouting yards and stuff. But I looked like a knucklehead yesterday evening on my uh, on my jog. I noticed some some grass leaves that were kind of chewed up, and I said, "Oh, I bet there's some fall armyworms in there." So I stopped and got down digging because it was still kind of hot and yep. was looking down. Uh, close to the ground level and started finding some really, really small ones. So that's another way. Yep. And and that was don't don't tell Steve Lee and uh, David Russell, I'm I'm not sure what weed grass species it was, maybe crabgrass. My guess would be crabgrass. Uh, that's my go to. <laughs> and well and it's a lot easier to see, you know, defoliation and window painting from little caterpillars on crabgrass than it is on Bermuda grass. Yeah, I think you made a good point too about it was hot out, so looking down at the the soil at the at the base of the grass plant because when it's really hot, they're not going to be in full sun feeding at the top of the plant. They're going to go back down. So if you're looking on your hands and knees on your run or whatever, um, and it's the heat of the day, look down at the soil. If it's a little bit cooler, first thing in the morning or at dusk, look at the tops of the leaves because they're likely going to be feeding then. Mm, yeah. And yeah, sweep net is the best thing you can do in, in pastures. I've been in fields that are completely infested and just kind of like a quick glance. I don't see it. And then I know I've taken some students out to sweep and they are just like, holy cow, there are so many worms in this yeah. field. And so so 
yeah, if you don't have a sweep net, um, let us know. We have ones at probably all the county extension offices throughout the state. And so um, another method is a soap flush. And so just getting a, a cup of soapy water and dumping it on the ground. This works really well for turf situations. And then the caterpillars are going to get really annoyed because you just dumped soap all over their homes. And so they're going to come to the surface and you'll see them within a couple minutes. Let's talk about one thing this year we probably don't need to do and in a previous life, uh, previous career, I guess I should say, I did a little bit of, of looking at fall armyworms in pastures and I was talking to somebody this morning about it and we can't wait until we see the cowbirds and then go. Yeah, yeah, pastures especially, um, if you look, wait for those signs, then you've probably already lost a lot of your yield from yeah. armyworms. And they get their name because they're moving like armies and they're eating a ton. Yeah, and particularly this year where we can't kill them tomorrow, you know, we, we without these pyrethroids or the knockdown quick action, we can't just run out there real quick and take care of the situation. All right, so let's talk about what options do producers have. And, and you mentioned pastures, so I'll start with that. Um, a lot of our hay looks really good, and we may be close to harvest. And so if you're within a week or so of your normal harvest time, just go ahead and harvest early. Um, you may still need to treat afterwards because there still may be some worms in there, but another option is to um, use your cattle to graze intensively, and they'll actually feed on the caterpillars as they're grazing. So you're getting a little extra protein there too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we should all be eating more insects. Um, and so that's an option for, for pastures. And if you're seeing big worms, um, then you might want to go out with something, whether it's a systemic, like one of the diamides, um, and then that will give you a little bit longer control. But we're also dealing with rain events. I know just this morning we had a little bit of rain, it's raining on a regular basis. And if you're going out with one of the contact insecticides or the growth regulators, as soon as we get a rain, you're going to have to apply again because that's no longer in the system. It's not taken up by the plants. So if, if you've got a, 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 hay, a pasture person or hay producer, is that what we call them, uh, and they, they start to see some larger worms and they're close to cutting, is it better just to go ahead and cut? Is that going to kill some of those caterpillars too? Or? Yeah, it'll it'll kill some. Um, they Mechanical harvest will take care of a lot of the worms. Um, so if you're honestly less than, than 10 days from your average harvest, I would, I would go ahead and just get it off the field. Just go ahead and cut it. Yeah, we're also running into issues with um, Bermuda grass stem maggots, which are here and um, the maggots are feeding on the grass. And so that's another way to break up their life cycle, harvest early. Um, but then we may also need to follow up with a pyrethroid to kill the flies. So, uh, Well, has sticking on the, the grass line there, how about turf? People's yards, golf courses, football fields, things yeah, like so that. Yeah, so there's honestly a ton of options and active ingredients in what you're going to want to do is pick based on your, your scenario. Um, whether you're a sod farm or golf car course, there's going to be stuff labeled for each of those systems. And there's also going to be different products labeled for home lawns that residential um, homeowners can use that are going to be different than a commercial applicator. Um, we do know that liquid applications are more effective than granular because it can get down through that thatch layer. But whether you're a home lawn or a golf course, 
we recommend mowing first to kind of shorten that thatch layer. It's basically a less depth that the insecticide has to penetrate to get to the worms. Um, a and check the label, a lot of them will um, require a light irrigation after. Um, and for uh, greens and, and fairways, um, you may want to kind of extend your, your spray area out because you're going to have worms on tree lines or roughs that can then move into the greens after you treat. And so I would recommend just uh, increasing your uh, spray width by a couple of bands on each side or doing those, those roughs where you have historic um, Army worm populations each year. Yeah, and and again, we're pyrethroids. You know, probably staying away from pyrethroids. Yeah, and we do have a lot of options um, for much longer control. Like I, I mentioned, the diamides. Um, those can give you a couple months control in many situations. If you're concerned about preserving beneficials, you have options like BT or spinosad. Um, those may require multiple applications, though. We know with these biologicals, they break down in the environment, so you may be spraying twice a week to stay control, especially as we have these flights that keep coming through, keep laying eggs, and keep surviving. Um, but for your typical kind of home lawn, that's certainly a great option because you're not going to take out all the beneficials and you'll still promote biological control. Um, and if you're not doing a large area, then it shouldn't be too costly. Yeah. Yeah. Any other, I guess we covered the pastures and, and turf, any other grass things before we move more into row crops? I think that's that's probably it. Um, yeah, mowing, irrigating, um, pay attention specifically to pre-harvest intervals for a lot of these products. They're going to vary, and so that's going to just, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us or check out our IPM guides because each project product is going to have um, a different, uh, time following spray that you can harvest. Um, and we'll tell you whether you need to irrigate, whether it's labeled for a sod farm or a golf course or an athletic field. And so um, a lot of these products are very, very specific in their labeling. And so make sure to check them out. Um, and a lot of them will have generally just turf caterpillars, which armyworms will fall into, but you won't necessarily see the, the term fall armyworm on some of the labels, but turf caterpillars, that's what they'll fall into. And this, this is something that's important, you know, even if you've got a, a professional pest management person coming to spray your yard, you know, look, look behind them a day or two after they spray and just make sure, because uh, like I said, this is just so rare, uh, you know, it's just hard to know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Yeah, and that's a great point. Um, but just keep in mind too, if you're if you're spraying something with a quick knockdown, you should expect control right away. Um, whether if you're if you're spraying a a BT, it's probably going to take about 48 hours. If you're spraying an insect growth regulator like Dimlin, what that does is um, it messes with the hormones and the molting process of insects, so they're not going to die right away. But when it comes time for them to molt and go to the next growth stage that's when, you know, we've messed with it enough that they're going to die. And so that's going to take a couple days too, but you'll end up with better and longer control, especially for the smaller worms, but it may not take out the, the bigger worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you st run into situations with worms that are over an inch long, it's probably too late to 
kill them yes. with most of this stuff. Yeah, because these worms live a couple weeks, depending on weather. It may be, may be shorter, especially this time of year. But we know when they're real tiny, they're not doing a lot of feeding. They really do in those last couple days before they go into um, pupation, which is their kind of changing, resting, non-feeding stage. They're going to eat 80% of their food for the entire larval stage in those last couple days. And so that's why we really want to find them using a sweep net, using a soap flush. Um, we're getting down our hands and knees and looking for them because when they're small, they're not causing a lot of damage. They're easy to kill. And then as soon as they get bigger, they need more food and they're hard to kill. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to soybeans. I know, Scott, you've been getting a lot of calls about soybeans throughout the state and, and how to control worms. Yeah. And like we said earlier, you know, this is we've gotten calls from Monroe County, from Henry County, from Colbert County. So I mean, we're we're across the state with this thing. And and we just we're not recommending pyrethroids, just like you've been saying. This is primarily going to be an issue in our, our later planted beans, you know, our wheat beans, uh, fields where there's not as much foliage. Uh, the, the soybeans just haven't quite grown as much. That's, that's where our issues are. Uh, fields where we got wet spots, where we couldn't get across, where grass, uh, grass weeds grew in the fields, or where you know, we got volunteer wheat, things like that. These army worms were coming there first. They're either moving to the soybeans after we've uh, we sprayed the weeds and killed them, or after they just consume all those weeds and they're looking for the next thing to feed on. You know, if you get out with the sweep net and you're picking up eight, ten, you know, per 25 sweeps pretty quick, I wouldn't wait on our, our defoliation threshold of 35%. I'd go ahead and pull the trigger. Uh, you, with what we're dealing with right now with rains and things, you never know when a rain's going to pop up. So when you can get across the field, I recommend go ahead and doing it. Uh, but I would look. I wouldn't just spray, you know, a, a diamide insecticide and, and spend that much money without knowing I did actually have worms in the field. Uh, but as far as options, as you mentioned, Demlin is, is a uh, insect growth regulator. Diamond, we got some feedback on, on that today. Uh, it looks pretty good as well. Uh, but but again, that's. We're really targeting smaller uh, infestations at that point or, or smaller sized worms at that point. You've also got your diamides, uh, several different trade names, uh, Prevathon or Vanticore, Besiege, products like that. Uh, Intrepid Edge is an another good option. With that one, we will say, you know, with most of these diamides, we feel like we can get away with our lowest uh, labeled rates. With Intrepid Edge, we're talking probably about five ounces uh, of Intrepid Edge or Intrepid Troubadour. Again, those come in some different names as well. Uh, but just to make sure we get good control. Now, if you're just absolutely determined to go out with the pyrethroid, uh, you know, our, our colleagues in the Mid-South are recommending if, if you're, they're not recommending to go out with pyrethroids, but if you do, they say throw in at least a half a pound of acephate and come back and check it two days later and make sure uh, you didn't get a miss. Uh, this is something that we can control. We've got good products to control them with good residual, uh, but we've got to use those products to, to manage this situation for right now. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, a lot of our products do work, like you said, but you can't just kind of spray and forget it. We need to go out there and make sure 
that we are getting adequate control. And if you have questions, you're not getting control for whatever reason, please get in touch with us. Yeah. And we'll be able to kind of look at your situation. And, and each farm is different. Um, each budget, each kind of worm population. These are, while we are experiencing a huge infestation, you can have one field that's infested and just down the road, there's, there'll be no worms. Yeah. They, are, they are really patchy and so that's something to keep in mind. And so that's why scouting, treating if necessary, and then going back within a couple of days and checking is going to be super important. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, with, with these diamides, that they cost more, but all we've got to do is just save ourselves a bushel, and they paid for themselves. So, you know, I know it's, it's a lot, but the price of beans are good, and that means we really can afford to be a little bit more aggressive and kind of chase yields this year and, and try to, to get the most return on our investment that we can. Uh, what about, Caitlin, uh, have you, what about sorghum? Any thoughts there with fall armyworms? You know, typically, I feel like our our uh, what, what do y'all call it? The head, headworm complex. Yeah. Head, so I mean, between armyworms and earworms, um, and then sometimes for fun, just throw in sorghum midge. Um, yeah. it, it, it can get complicated in terms of control. And so um, we're talking a lot about grasses and beans, but I wouldn't rule out checking your sorghum um, for the major pests that we're, we're now accustomed to, like headworms, um, sorghum midge, sugarcane aphid. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. I think uh, we've seen lower populations of sugarcane aphids this year. Um, a lot of that may have to do with the rain. Um, they're just not thriving like they normally do in, in, in dry heat. Um, but depending on you know size and number of worms and if we're kind of past or uh, before that stage where sorghum midge can really do damage, um, it's important to get out early in the morning when that window we can find midge I go out with. Um, a very scientific thing. It's an empty milk jug. Cut out the bottom and just shake my heads, the sorghum heads into it and look for worms and sorghum mitch um, first thing in the morning. That's the best thing you can do. And if you have questions about managing that complex and, and whether it's worms or midge, um, we can certainly talk through some of those issues. And, b and before we get out of here, I'll mention too for peanuts, really we're not too concerned about this fall army worm outbreak. A uh, couple different reasons for that. One, you know, we're doing a lot of of uh, IGRs tank mix with with fungicide applications so that's really going to help us manage these but also you know, our, a lot of our peanuts are starting to lap or at least what I saw today down around uh, Headland you know we're really starting to get good good growth on our peanuts so we've got a lot of foliage there to be eaten we also are, are doing a pretty good job of keeping those clean and keeping uh, grass weeds out of it so really not too concerned there and then all same thing in cotton uh, our, our BT technologies, whether two or three gene, still provide good control of fall, fall armyworms. So really not an issue there. We need to be uh, focused on plant bugs and stink bugs in our cotton right now. All right. Well, I think that's everything we need to discuss. I would just reiterate if anyone out there is, is applying any of the products we talked about and running into issues where you're not getting good control, please reach out to us. Let us know. Um, it's it's good for us to keep a pulse on, on what's happening out there and, and we can talk through some options um, looking at budget and rain and harvest time and everything. So um, please reach out to us and uh, Hopefully we won't have to do another special edition. Hopefully things will calm down soon <laughs> yeah. and then we can get some more guests on here so you're not stuck with me and Scott. Yeah.
But yes, like you said, uh, if we can ever be of any help, please let us know. And uh, we appreciate our listeners, uh, folks who, who've been tuning in with us every week and appreciate the feedback that we've been getting. So be ready for another episode of the Alabama Crops Report coming soon. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.